Welcome to the Leader to Leader podcast from Chime, where we bring you the top innovators in digital health leadership with your host, the president and CEO of Chime, Russ Branzell. Hello and welcome to the Leader to Leader podcast, a Chime Foundation series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and president and CEO of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. As we continue to live through and really evolve through crazy challenging times in healthcare for our professionals, our industry partners, and really all the people that we serve, it is truly a testament to these leaders across the industry that have proven their talent and determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet not just the moment, but really shape the future. We're proud to know these leaders and support them here at Chime. Today, we welcome an accomplished visionary and executive with over 25 years of experience in healthcare. As the chairman of Oracle Health, Dr. David Feinberg has committed his career to making healthcare more accessible, affordable, and equitable. His work advances through leadership and strategy related to unleashing the healing power of data through an open and connected healthcare ecosystem. Previously, David served as the president and CEO of Cerner, now Oracle Health, where he leads teams developing tools and technologies to improve the patient and caregiver experience. He's a a true friend of Chime and of mine. We're excited to welcome David back to the program. David, welcome. Thanks so much, Russ. I'm excited to be here, and thanks for those kind words. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not sure we could uh, continue this crazy trend we've been on in challenges hitting health care, whether it be gigantic worldwide pandemics or financial troubles or world recessions or now the latest whatever bug that's going around. It just seems like we are constantly being bombarded in our industry with challenges, uh, first and foremost, with, without a doubt. How are you doing? How's your family doing? How are all our friends at Oracle Health doing? Well, we're I'm doing great. Family's doing great. And Oracle Health, you know, we're going through this integration with um, Cerner coming into Oracle. And uh, I was a little nervous. I think uh-huh. that my sense is those tech, big tech companies think those of us in healthcare are kind of stupid. And if we just use this app, everything would get better. And then they, you know, say, hey, we fixed retail and hospitality and financial services and banking and blah, 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 and maps. Why don't you guys get it? And I can tell you now my new Oracle colleagues are incredibly inquisitive and humble. And so maybe this is a good marriage of, you know, deep healthcare expertise with world-class technology that finally is going to be able to really, in some ways, move the needle in healthcare. So from that standpoint, I'm telling you, I've never been more excited and um, proud to be part of this team. Well, that probably brings up a great first question as, as we continue to go through so many crazy things as we were talking about their technology innovations and regulatory shifts and unbelievable high costs of labor right now, um, just whatever you want to say out there, it kind of is creating a, a perfect environment for mergers and acquisitions because those that are doing well are doing well and those that are a little bit distressed are, are prime targets for, for acquisition or partnering up with people. And, and that really is, as you just described, is is what's going on right now with with a, a stalwart in our industry for decades and decades and decades with Cerner now being acquired by Oracle. And so you're about a year into this. 
um, you know, tell us kind of how this is going, because not all mergers and acquisitions, you said it's going pretty well, but give us maybe a little bit more meat on the bone here. You know, what what are the big objectives? What are the big things we should be seeing out of this, this marriage now, really, of, of two industry stalwarts? So uh, let me tell you, Russ, because we're buddies, what I told my mom. <laughs> so I'm at Google. I have the opportunity to run Google Health, which was phenomenal. And I get called by Cerner. Or am I interested in coming to Cerner? And this is now a couple of years ago. And to me, I felt like at Google, while we had, I thought, amazing success. When, at the time I left, we had 50 billion impressions of our COVID information page on YouTube. So, I mean, I learned about scale. But I wanted to get back into healthcare. And I knew at Cerner, despite the issues, I was going to get to be in the nursing station and walk in the ER and go into the outpatient clinic. And that's what I wanted to do. And so... Um, that was great, but actually pretty shortly after I got there, Oracle calls. So I'm saying to my mom, I'm leaving a tech company that's doing healthcare, Google, to go to a healthcare company that uses technology, Cerner. And then I got to explain, well, now I'm going back to a tech company that's going to do healthcare. <laughs> Here's the difference. I think Google put its toe in the water. It's a big toe. Oracle has jumped in the water. You know, Larry Ellison, our chief technology officer and founder gave an Oracle cloud um, presentation in Vegas a few months ago. This is the main Oracle, you know, big Oracle conference. He had 48 slots, 42 were healthcare. He has been very clear that Oracle is now a healthcare company. So when you ask, what are we trying to do? I think in the past, technology companies sometimes had a misstep because lack of humility, but also because they came in with point solutions. And as you know, healthcare is so complicated. It is such an entwined ecosystem that even if there's a good point solution, oftentimes the ecosystem will kind of reject it. So what we're trying to do now is to come in and we want to do this with partners in a connected way, but build a cloud enabled platform that pulls all of our things together and others. So EHR connected to ERP, connected to supply chain, connected to human capital management, cloud enabled. So think of use cases. A nurse gives chemo for the first time. We know from human capital management that's happening. The training should happen in the EHR in a just-in-time way, where the EHR should understand that this just got completed in the OR, and that should drive your supply chain. And we've said, and actually Larry said it at that conference, we're not doing this on our own. We wanna do this with others. We actually wanna do it in an EHR agnostic way. We wanna build an end-to-end -end platform, claims processing, clinical trials, um, everything that EHR does, and all those other ERP things that Oracle is so good at, so that we can say to health systems around the world, this stuff is gonna work better, it's going to be more intelligent and it's going to help you manage your expenses. So that's what we're trying to do. I think it's bold and audacious, but there's not a lot of places that could actually do it. And so in some ways, I said to the team, we've been dealt the perfect hand. It's now time to play. Um, so that's what we're up to. And uh, my mom's proud of me, regardless of wherever I am. <laughs> that, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's funny because about the time this program is going to be aired will be your birthday or right around your birthday. And so uh, I, I, I at least know your age for sure. You're somewhere around 29 plus an undisclosed number of months. So exactly. you know, I'm, I'm sure your mom is proud of all the years you've done this. I don't know how you got 25 years in healthcare and in 29 years. So that doesn't, exactly. that doesn't add up anyway. Housing or something like that. Hey, so so when you start thinking about this, you know, the, the way you describe this ERP plus EMR plus supply chain and human capital management and all these different things out there, it's like one plus one plus one plus one plus one might equal 99. Uh, sounds a little bit like the Holy Grail that we're going to eventually get there and, and do this. And, and I and I watched that segment that uh, Mr. Ellison, your CTO and chairman, uh, really kind of laid that out there. It It, it is big bodacious goals and these are these are not like little you know uh, a happy meal kind of thing this is solving world hunger level not happy meal level so is this really where we'll finally see the true fully integrated patient record or maybe even patient experience for people that it all goes together and what do you if you could get there if you can get us even closer than we are today what will that mean for healthcare? What will that mean for patients? What will that mean for, heck, use the word humanity? Yeah. So let's get realistic. I had the opportunity to present to the Oracle board when they were doing due diligence. And I thought I did a pretty good job. Larry introduced me. It, it went longer than it was supposed to. And they asked great questions. But he didn't say anything at the end. So I asked my Oracle colleague, hey, what Larry think? Oh, he was effusive, thought you were great. But you gave one answer that a board member asked that he didn't like the answer to. I said, oh, what was that? So somebody asked me basically, hey, this is a great vision. How long is it going to take? And I said, I don't know, one or two decades. Right? And everyone chuckled. And that was not the answer Larry was looking for. But those of us in healthcare know how complicated this is. We know how many things are entrenched and maybe we can speed it up and it can be less than a decade, but it's gonna take a while. Um, what does it mean if we get it right? Oh my God, it means data is flowing so that whoever is taking care of you and care could be me providing self-care to myself. It could be my wife helping out my uh, help, who helps my parents. It could be uh, in a retail environment, it could be in a brick and mortar clinical, it could be virtual, but whoever is providing care is going to get information in a way that's actionable and allows them to make better decisions. Like that's amazing because right now that is not the situation. We've really turned caregivers into data clerks and yet it's really still hard to find the information and bring it up in a way that works in your workflow or your life flow. So if we can change that, and I think it actually dramatically decreases the cost, we have a huge ability to really, uh, in your words, you know, kind of change humanity. Just think of some examples, like Oracle has a division called Oracle Financial Services. That has two parts in it. One is claims processing in medical, and the other is credit card processing or everything, and 80% of the world's credit cards transaction run on Oracle. So think of it as a tech company that's trusted between me and my bank every time I swipe or tap my card. Well, the um, uh, what if we take that same concept and say, wait, we're doing claims processing, 
We have clinical information from the EHR. Why is it 99% of this stuff auto-adjudicated? Now, maybe we need to fight on some outliers, but the regular stuff, if we can get the clinicians to complete the chart in the office, meaning we got to work really hard on usability. That's not on the clinicians, that's on us. And then when you leave the office, it's automatically adjudicated and it's paid through your health savings account. And there's no EOB that ever comes to your house. Well, that's a 4% savings on the insurance side because they got a bunch of people that are there trying to deny care that they approve because it you know, makes sense. And the people on the clinical side, 4% of the costs that are, that are you know, trying to make sure the coding's right. All of that can be done using a tech platform with a trusted intermediary. That's an 8% savings in healthcare. We're talking about, we can really do great stuff upstream. We can help those that are uninsured and underinsured. It's a huge, it adds no value to healthcare. And we think we can help by taking that value out. That's one little example of if you can get data that's disparate, normalize it, make sense of it, there's a trusted intermediary, and then above all, put the patient at the center. And every patient hates getting EOBs because when it says this is not a bill, it's become kind of, it's fodder for late night come. Well, you just brought up something kind of sparks the next concept here. And this is an issue that is, it's, it's on every news stream. It's on every, whether it's a electronic newspaper or if anybody really gets a real newspaper anymore, it's this concept of, which becomes kind of just almost a buzzword a little bit, but also at its core is unbelievably important, this concept of, of health equity. And we hear all kinds of different terms out there for this. And you hear social determinants of care and underserved and all these things. And it can get really big and really complex uh, almost instantly when you start trying to figure this out. And you know, we, we almost said it justly earlier about solving world hunger, tech equity or health equity can really feel the same way sometimes. I, I know Cerner, before it became Oracle Health, this was a big initiative that you all had on trying to help with this. Matter of fact, you partner up with us in our tech equity efforts, in our Vive conference coming up, and trying to think of every way possible to leverage technology. But what can we do? What, what can a, a tech vendor do like yourselves, as gigantic as Oracle is, what can you do to really help us address what can sometimes come down to an individualistic issue, which is one person not being able to get the care they need proactively, well in the space, all these kinds of things. I mean, yeah, it really is that big of an issue. What do you think we should be doing? What do you think you all should be doing to help address this? So let me give a couple of examples. The first is our Learning Health Network. So our Learning Health Network and the other EHR companies have similar types of things. I think ours is spectacular. But the, um, the Learning Health Network is we say to our installed base, would you like to join the club? And the cost of entry is your de-identified data. And what do you get in return? You get two things. You get access to all the de-identified data. And so far, just in the US, we've had 100 health systems sign up, which is um, uh, represents 100 million records. So it's amazing. Half of those, half, of those that have signed up are research naive systems. We have three times the number of patients of color than any national database uh, that's looking at clinical trials or diagnostic discovery. So by design, we've created a um, equity improving system 
to do clinical trials and diagnostic discovery. So I'll give a couple examples in there. We partnered with a company called Freenome to look at multiomics in cancer, a diagnostic test. In our EHR, any of these 100 health systems can now enroll patients for what in essence is a blood draw to look at um, early onset of uh, potential, I think it's 10 different cancers. Um, that same system can use um, to bring uh, clinical trials to places like San Joaquin, California. Never done clinical trials. They're now on their fourth cardiac trial. Osmond, Nebraska, a town of 800 people. Osmond Health is doing a colorectal screening uh, clinical trial. You're not only bringing diagnostics and clinical trials to places that never had them before. And those people in those communities normally would have to drive hours to get to an academic medical center. You're also training that clinical staff that when and if these medicines and diagnostics become approved, they're gonna be comfortable using them. So now we're bringing in a much more diverse population into our clinical trials. And then we're making sure that these are effector arms so that this great health equity play plays out in actually uh, ongoing treatments. So, so that's one piece that we're really excited about. And then the part that I gotta tell you, I'm excited and I'm also really scared is as we apply AI to these data sets, there's no question that they are better than human performance, whether it's around diagnostic, uh, computer vision for diagnostic imaging or figuring out from the record, you know, what's going to come next, whether it's acute kidney injury, et cetera. They're phenomenal. But oftentimes, there's bias in the data. And that means the AI tool is going to come up with recommendations that perpetuate that bias. So we're being very, very deliberate about what's the data set. And then if we learn from it, how can we make sure that our clinicians that are using it understand when and when not to use it. Think of it as almost like a food label. Like, be careful, it may not work in this situation. Or be careful because it hasn't been tested on this skin type. So um, while I'm thrilled about, you know, we took 40 years and Chime and your members have been crucial in this and digitizing the record, fantastic. Now that we have the data, let's make sure we're really careful that we don't take the bias that's in healthcare and perpetuate. So really proud of our Learning Health Network and what it's been doing. Um, really excited about the future of AI and big data to make care better, but we gotta always pay attention to the data coming in may have, likely has the bias that healthcare has had for a long time and we don't wanna perpetuate that. So, so pulling on that thread a little bit longer or a little bit more here is, is kind of going to that Pareto principle, that 80-20 rule here is, is and, and again, it's overgeneralization, but some of the studies out there when it comes to this really talk about the fact that the care environment, whether it be the hospital, the physician office, the dentist office, whatever, it really only represents about 20% of the determinants of their actual health. 80% are outside where they live, their access to food, their access to other community services, clean water, clean air, all those kinds of things. How do we bring all of that together to really help a human thrive, to be there, the highest in their potential when, when we're still struggling with the 20% and there's 80% out there sometimes that we don't even recognize? Yeah, it's I, I guess the joke of, hey, can I help you find something? I lost my keys. 
did you lose them over here? No, but it's where the light is at night. And so I can see here, like, so we just keep going for the data in the healthcare system because it's a data rich environment. Yet, as you're saying, there's so many factors that drive health outcomes that have nothing to do with the clinic or the hospital, whether that's your genetic code or your zip code or your behaviors or your access to food and housing, et cetera. So it's no way we're gonna fix healthcare without that data. So our healthy intent platform is really our population health tool that EHR agnostic and sits on top of that, that brings in information that can be really helpful in understanding those components of health outcomes, basically that 80%, and brings it so that you can bring it in to the clinical environment as a clinician. So I can see that the problem with this patient's diabetes is not that they're not compliant, it's they don't have access to food. The other piece you gotta do there is then make it really easy for the clinician to, to do that social prescribing. If you really look at burnout, um, it did not start because of EHRs. Now, I think EHRs are a big reason that clinicians are burnt out, but the burnout became a term because we couldn't get what our patients needed. An example would be a patient comes in with an infected heart valve and you admit them to the ICU and you do IV antibiotics and you treat it. It was caused by IV drug abuse. Three weeks in the hospital, the valve's clean, they're all better, you send them out. And two weeks later, they're back in the ER with an infected heart valve. Not because the treatment wasn't good, but because there was no good follow-up of where you send the patient post-hospital. And that is how they came up with this term that clinicians are burned out. There's this, it just beats you up morally if you can't get the right thing for your patients. And clearly treating them with IV antibiotics every few months for infected heart valves is not a good long-term solution for this particular uh, disorder, right? So, and then the EHRs kind of add to that. So it's, it's, I think, equally as important in understanding the social determinants of a patient and the other behavioral issues is making sure that you can then address them. Because just knowing that somebody lives uh, and doesn't have access to a kitchen because they're in a motel doesn't help you if you can't provide them with nutritious food, a hot plate, a, and a spatula, and a microwave. Like, it just doesn't work. So how do we make that easier on clinicians to make that kind of social prescribing easier? You know, Cerner's the biggest EHR company in the world, if you look at worldwide market share. I like to say to the team, I translate that into we have more of grandma's blood sugar than anyone else. And now let's make sure we do right by it. And it needs to be protected. And we have to understand, does grandma have food at home? Um, but it's also given me the opportunity to go around the world and visit with our customers that are doing things different than I would say we do in the US, where there is much more emphasis on upstream and understanding data. Our, our customers in Qatar, for example, use the EHR to look at pediatric weights. And based on pediatric weights, basically percentage of kids that are obese, they either approve of fast food being built in that neighborhood or not, and or approve a gym or a community center being built in that neighborhood or not, right? To me, that's really going upstream, using the data on the clinical side to say, wait, we got a problem in this neighborhood, we need a swimming pool and a basketball court and whatever, and we're not gonna let a fast food restaurant open there. Now, maybe in our culture, that's too big brother or whatever, but take it as an example of going upstream or 
in Sweden, where in, in uh, Sweden where we're really successful, they can prescribe opera. So, hey, it seems like you need to go to the opera. Here's the prescription. Now we had trouble actually getting our system to do that because um, <laughs> we're better at prescribing medications. We figured it out, but you know, you just see these ways of different ways of looking at healthcare that are you're like, wow. There's a lot of lessons we in the U.S. could learn by how others are doing. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because at last year, these are kind of words that stick in your head. My physical annual physical last year, my uh, physician looked at me and said, Russ coming in for an annual physical is not going to make you healthier. All it's going to do is allow me the opportunity to tell you in the areas that you are not being healthy. So I'm going to give you a prescription for exercise, eating better, and stress management. He goes, because those are the three things you got to figure out for yourself. We'll help you. But if not, I'll see you in a year and I'll tell you the things that are still wrong with you. It was kind of one of these little bit of a punch in the nose and a bad, bit of a pat on the back all at the same time. But it really was a different way of thinking about things, about taking responsibility, but also realizing going to a doctor does not make you healthy. It fixes what's not healthy about you um, in, in really in a more proactive way. So I love the way you put that. Sounds like you've got a great primary care doctor. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he can actually be kind of mean, too. And I like that about him. Yeah, he, yeah. He, can, he can be a little bit of a swift kick in the tail when I need it yeah, as here well. Here are the things that are going to kill you should we address them. <laughs> You know, exactly. pediatricians are, are nice, but they're the, they, they've been the best at kind of thinking this way. When you think of bicycle helmets and seatbelts, that has saved more kids' lives than anything probably since, you know, clean water and immunizations. So there are bicycle helmet and seatbelt examples in adult medicine and psychiatry and everything else. Like if we started, we, and I'm a child psychiatrist, like I know the bicycle and seat helmet helmet things for kids to grow up healthy in a family. That's where I think medicine needs to go and saying, hey, hey, Russ, you need to eat better. You need to sleep more. You got to work on your stress management and you got to exercise like that. That's going to keep you alive. It's not going to add. It's not only going to add more years to your life. It's going to add more life to your years. So your 80s, you're going to feel much better than if you don't do this. Um, I just think it's crucial. And we can use the data to make to actually understand that at a far better level. So as we go into these next, these last couple of questions, I'm actually even gonna uh, uh, contradict myself here and I'll ask the question and then I'll say why I don't like the question I'm asking, but there's these common words being used out there and in transformation in our industry and uh, even innovation, those kinds of things. But even those terms, I, I really just don't like them because they seem evolutionary. They seem kind of glacial in pace. They seem slow. I like replacing that word with revolutionary. Revolutionary means we got to do something radically different to get to a better outcome. Just small incremental changes are nice, but they're not going to get us where we want to go. So I'm going to kind of mix the question up here a little bit and say, you know, what does revolutionary mean to Oracle Health? What do you all see happening in the near future, three years, five years, whatever, where we can radically change the way healthcare is delivered and the way healthcare is received? Yeah, so I'm going to add words I don't like either, and then I'll answer your question. So I don't like pilot. I hate, oh, we're doing a pilot. <laughs> like, and, and I always say healthcare innovation. We talk about innovation, like if a congestive heart failure patient you know, innovative treatment is we um, have a nurse call them at home. The innovation was the nurse, which I think was Florence Nightingale from, you know, hundreds of years ago. And the phone was Alexander Graham Bell. 
our innovation is we put the two together. We put a nurse with a phone. That's our innovation. So I'm with you. So what's revolutionary in the next three to five years? A couple of things, I would say. One, we're going to do our best to really make the EHR incredibly usable. You know, nurses are 50% of the time at the terminal, 30% of the time looking for supplies. And I would say only 20% of the time nursing. We think that with tech, we can completely change that. They're not at the terminal anymore. The supplies are there when they need them. So they can actually do 100% nursing. Same on the clinical side. And so when you think about that, now, if we're right, there is no labor shortage because that nurse is now two to three times more effective than they were previously because we've tethered them to this old tech. So that's one, and I would say it's the same on the clinical side. Doc sees a patient, never goes to the computer because ambient voice and AI can write a progress note better than the doc, captures everything, understands what's HBI and what actually is extraneous information. So one is complete rethink about usability of this tool. So it becomes noise. There's no noise and it's in the background, the tool meaning collecting the data. And then the other, this one I think is more me than Oracle, but I'm, I'm pulling Oracle in this direction. And this one's gonna take a little longer. I think fundamentally what's, I think healthcare fundamentally is people caring for people and it's built on trust. You can't mess those up. And the big transformation that I think we need to make is to move healthcare from being provider centric to patient, family, community, region, nation centric to literally flip it. Now, I think it's gonna be really hard to do in the US. And so I keep thinking we have a much better shot at doing it in these, some of this developing world where they don't really have the entrenched system. We create it there and then you come back here and it's a leapfrog. But to really build it around the patient, the village, the uh, community health worker who's caring for all those kinds of patients. I think that's the revolution. And when you do that, all of this garbage that we've built in our health system will obviously disappear because it adds no value to that patient or that family in the community. Well, our time is just about up here, but I want to ask one last question. I'll set the question up this way. As I mentioned earlier, this podcast will be being aired just about the time of your birthday. So first and foremost, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, we Thank will you. not give a reveal of how many years it has been, but uh, yeah. maybe one or two more than 29. Uh, we'll just go with that. But uh, pretending today is your birthday, for sure, maybe it will be when this first goes live. You know, when we have our birthday, it's it's kind of our day. You know, everybody says this is your birthday. And, you know, as kids, we blow out the candles and make our wish. So, you know, as you think about the stuff you've described today, where we're going, whether that be with equity and with solving some of these massive problems that we have in our industry uh, getting to a different place in the convergence of the system. There's a lot of big boulders there. But if you had your wish for a day, what would it be? What would you remove? What would you radically change? What would you just wish for a little bit different out in the world? Um, and, and just like so many birthday wishes, we've, we would hope they would come true. So what's your wish? So my wife would drop our kids off to school. Sometimes I did, but she was the main dropper offer. And when she dropped off the kids, the last words she would say to them as they got out of the car is make the world a better place. And you can do that at your school and you can do that with your friends or after school or whatever. 
So that's stuck with me about kind of making the world a better place. And for me, that translates my wish is, is what can I do with an amazing team and an amazing opportunity I have to make care and caregivers lives better, make that part of the world better so that it's easier to provide care. And when bad stuff happens, uh, it's easier to get care and that it's equitable, that it's safe, that it's culturally sensitive, that it's affordable, that it's of course of the highest quality, but it gets you back to your life as soon as possible. So if I can make the world a better place for caregivers and those receiving care, that's my big birthday wish. Wow. Well, we greatly appreciate you being on the program today. We thank you for your amazing insights, as always, as you shared with the solutions from whether they be technical or things we've got to deal with with health inequities. Uh, we just love how your innovation and I'll even say revolutionary mind works. I think we're kindred spirits in that. But most importantly, thank you for all you do for our industry. Thank you for what you do, our friends here at Chime, um, for your friends here at Oracle Health as well. Uh, we do look forward to seeing you in person uh, in Nashville at yeah, Vibe. Yeah, well, you can count on that. Thanks, Russ. Well, again, thank you for all you do. Uh, we appreciate everything you do in our industry. Thanks. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Chime's Leader to Leader podcast. As always, you can listen to this on our website, chimecentral.org forward slash media or on Spotify for this and all these great top healthcare leaders and all the wisdom they share. Continue to innovate, transform, and create positive change to advance and improve health and care throughout our communities to serve. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say what David said, go out and make the world a better place. Stay safe and God bless.